Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Good morning, Taz. Good morning, Paula. Well, who influences, controls, and owns other key aspects of our lives? What we eat, the information we access, the environment, our own finances, and our politicians. In short, who owns us and what can be done about it? Our guest today, Catherine Austin Fitz, will be talking about this among a lot of other things. You are listening to the Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Our guest, Catherine Austin Fitz, believes we can transform our finances and our world. She believes we can start doing it with those in our lives. Uh, family, friends, and colleagues wherever we live and throughout our networks in many places. In a moment, we'll find out how we can go about doing this. Well, Catherine Austin Fitz is the founder and president of Solari. She served as a managing director and member of the board of directors of the Wall Street Investment Bank, Dellen, Reed & Company, Incorporated. She also served as assistant secretary of housing Federal Housing Commissioner at HUD in the first Bush administration and was the president and founder of the Hamilton Securities Group. Uh, Today she partners with, uh, I'm not sure how long she's had this company, it's called Sea Landing Advisory. So uh, we have someone that has pockets full of information for us today. Welcome, Catherine. Are you here with us? Yes, Paula, can you hear me? Yes, and we've got Taz with us also. Hi, Taz. Good morning, Catherine. It's an honor to have you with us. We're really oh, excited. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show. I'm back. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, um, with the presidential election coming, um, do you think we're living in a false economy right now? They're making it sound better than what it re- actually is? Well, we're living in a managed economy, and it's um, it's certainly, if you look at what we're taught in high school or what we're taught in college about how the economy works and how the world works, it's obviously, it's very different. Uh, you know, the, the real story is very different. And uh, it's not surprising that the movie The Matrix is so popular, because to a certain extent, we are economically living in The Matrix. And um, and one of the things that can serve us very well is if we take the time to step out of the false pictures we've digested in our schooling and see the economy as it really is. You know, the more 
the more we have an accurate map, the better we can navigate and protect ourselves. Because right now the financial system, unfortunately, is working as a system that harvests us and harvests our time and our energy. And so the more we can we can have an accurate map of the world, the the better chance we can build our immunity to being harvested. So I know when we had you in the past, um, you suggested that people should get out of the, the large banks, uh, take their money out of the large banks and put them in our smaller community banks. Um, do you still uh, believe in this? Very much, and um, what what uh, the way I like to to say it is to think you know to think of money in an intimate in a more intimate way, and the most important thing is uh, to get people out of your life who don't care about you. So if you're in a very large if you're dealing with a very large enterprise, and their financial incentives are to make money in ways that may or may not be good for you. But they they're not aligned. Their interests are not aligned with your interests. So, for example, if you look at the small credit unions and and um, and community banks, generally what you'll find is that the bread and butter, the way they make money, is on helping you succeed. So, the better you do, the better they do. And and retail banking, serving households, serving individuals, is their bread and butter, and they want to be really good at it. And so, their customer service tends to be much better. And if anything silly goes on, um, you can usually get it fixed. You, they know you, you know them, and if you build that relationship over time, you've really got an ally in your corner in your local banker. Um, and I often say, you know, there are a tremendous number of honest people in the financial system, and you'll find a lot of them in the local banks and credit unions and it's it's remarkable what they can do um, and what can happen locally if we simply support them by putting our deposits with them. So I've found um, the service to be better, the risks significantly lower, um, and and tremendous economic advantages to all of us if we keep our money locally. When you, I do a lot of traveling by car, and when you drive around the country, what you see is the communities that are doing the best have certain conditions um, in common, and one of them is that they've kept a significant amount of local banking, savings bank, and credit credit unions. And I know some states have their own banks. Uh, would you? Yeah, and it's very interesting. I just drove from uh, from Cincinnati over to Montana, and uh, I'm out in Palo Alto now, but um, you cross the border into North Dakota and then, again, cross the border uh, you know, from North Dakota to Montana, and you see a remarkable difference because there, there are two things North Dakota has going on. Not only do they have their own state bank, but their legislature only meets once every two years, and so the, all the people in the legislature continue to hold down other jobs. So, uh, which means, you know, they need to focus on only what's important and not, the lobbyists aren't sitting around making trouble because there's, there's nobody there to, you know, to get together and make trouble with. So, um, North Dakota has, you know, a remarkable number of things going right for it. Oh, speaking of lobbyists, if there was one thing we could get rid of, that's, that's when, the first thing I'd put on my list, the lobbyists. Well, actually, what I what I would do is I would make it possible 
for communities and local areas to hire all the smart lobbyists. So I'd swing them to the pro-decentralization team because, in fact, if, if you're going to have legislation, you do need you do need people to represent the the interests of you know a, a variety of things that are being regulated so there you do need the capacity to to have feedback between people being impacted by regulation and and regulate you know and the and the people writing the regulation i'll never forget in 1980 i was sitting on wall street i was working in a wall street firm and um john sununu came he was running for senate uh in the in from New Hampshire, it was before he served as chief of staff in the Bush administration. Uh, but so this was before he was running for Senate, and a, and one of my partners was working as campaign manager. And I didn't know John Sununu from Adam, but he walked in and he said, and he 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 described all the number of laws that Congress was passing that involved science or engineering, and then he explained. I think it was 70% of the people in Congress or something had a legal background or had gone to law school. And, and in the whole of Congress, there was one or two engineers. And I was so impressed with the speech. <laughs> he was an engineer. He'd gone to MIT. Uh, I wrote a check for everything that was left in my checking account to John Sununu. <laughs> but it's amazing. You go to China, and their legislators have enormous amounts of engineering and technical background, whereas you know our legislatures tend to be lawyers and know nothing in a in a world where technology and science is really driving the economy. So it's a it's a little bit scary to me. So lobbyists traditionally have done, you know, some very good stuff in terms of making sure that crazy things don't go on. Um, so I'm not I'm not as anti lobbyist. What I'm anti is a financial model that that basically teams corporations and private investors with government whereby assets are stolen from government and liabilities are shifted back in you know and, and so if you look at the current model it's it's uh you know it's far worse than just getting rid of the lobbyists well i mean the large corporations with more money the lobbyists seem to have more um say and the small, the small people like some of the nonprofit organizations, uh, they don't have as much money to put towards lobbyists. So let me ask you a question: Why is it then? And I, I, I completely agree with you. Why is it then that the American people continue to, to support large corporations in the marketplace? We have the power with our purchases, with our deposits, with our donations, with our investments. We have the power to radically shift this, and yet we're not doing it. In other words, if it's the consumer and the citizens who continue to embrace large corporations that behave very, very badly. And, I, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely stunned when I meet with somebody who continues to bank with one of the large New York banks that's engineered the fiscal and, and financial events of 2008 and a fraudulent housing bubble. Well, so what, what do you advocate? Yeah, what Go do ahead. you advocate uh, that that people would invest with or or operate with? Um, maybe giving people ideas. Sure, the most the most powerful political tool we have is 
well, we have many we have many tools at our disposal. So so let's just go through them. Um, the first thing is shunning. There's nothing more powerful to the human psyche than shunning. And and if if every one of us said, you know, we're Obama just gave twenty seven trillion dollars to the bankers. We're just not going to vote for him. We're just not going to support him. We're just, we're just you know we're just going to shun him. We're going to show absolutely no interest in him. Um, it could have tr- you know unbelievably dramatic impacts. So um, when you talk to people now, we're in the middle of elections, and you talk to them about politics. One, the first thing you find is th- I I told the, I call the two candidates Goldman Sachs Monsanto right and Goldman Sachs Monsanto left. <laughs> Um, and what you find is that a great deal of our, you know, the American people feel that they have to choose one or the other, which is not true. There are a lot of independent candidates running. There are a lot of other options other than, you know, basically, it's the equivalent of saying, I have no choice. I have to eat at McDonald's or Burger King. No, you don't. You don't have to eat at McDonald's or Burger King because both of them are not good for you. So, you know, so Barack Obama gave $27 trillion to the to the banks. It's the most extraordinary political feat in the history of the world. We don't have to vote for him, and we don't have to vote for the other candidate either. There, there are plenty of choices. So we have the ability to go to the polls and everybody vote for a third party or independent candidate. I'm telling you, it would rock the world. So that's how you make your vote count. But the more important thing is all politics is local. All central control is engineered one county at a time. And it's amazing to me to watch. Uh, you know, we have an opportunity to, to shift our interest out of the presidential election, you know, and the choice between Monsanto and Goldman Sachs right and left, and, and instead start to focus on local candidates. So there's kind of a spell that no one's interested in the local candidates, but I assure you, uh, get out and support the right kind of local sheriff because the banks can't come in and foreclose in your community unless that sheriff processes the foreclosures. So the root of the housing bubble is, um, and we've had sheriffs, there's a sheriff in New Hampshire who's announced a task force where he's going to look into you know, what's going on with a real fraud. Um, sheriffs doing that could completely shift the power equation, but they're going to have to have support from the local people. So let's say you you shift your time out of, out of the presidential election and focus on getting the right people elected locally and the right policies in place locally to to protect you from things like predatory lending. And let's say you bank local so you've got more money floating around in your community. Well, then let's look at the other parts of your balance sheet and income statement. Where are you purchasing um, from large corporations that you can switch to uh, either from large corporations who are not ethical to large corporations that are, there are some, and and where can you downsize your um, your consumption to smaller companies, whether it's in your community or elsewhere, um, that have more uh, you know more interests aligned with you. What I find over time is if you focus on that, there are tremendous opportunities to do so. There is no more important area than in the in the area of food. Well, and, I'm going to give you an example of what's happening. I mean, I've just seen it in my own life. Is I was buying a dog food from a, a very small company, and now a big corporation came in and bought it. I was right. I was banking at a small community bank, 
Wells Fargo came in. Right. So, I mean, you have to like right, and it, it does, it does, it does happen. It does happen. Um, what I find in most communities, though, you have uh, if if that happens to you once, then bank at a credit union because Wells Fargo can't come in and buy the credit union. Um, so if you want to protect yourself from that, you can go to a credit union. But companies will get changed and will get bought out. But I've found over time that there's still selection. Now let me let me get to food. The single biggest threat to our political and economic freedom is if we, if the effort underway to consolidate the food and seed supply succeeds. And so I think the question before us is not um, do we want to bother to support local farmers or local fresh food. The question for all of this as a matter of health and safety, how are we going to get fresh food and water um, and get it in a way that doesn't, where we're not dependent on large corporations that we can't trust. And this is really a matter of survival because if you look at the, uh, for example, Jeffrey Smith has a new DVD out called Genetic Roulette. He published a book called Genetic Roulette. In fact, he's going to be in the Solari Report tonight. And he, um, if he's made Genetic Roulette available this week for free. And I strongly, you can get it at his website, geneticroulette.com. What it shows you is the the dangers to your health um, and the health of your children and grandchildren of eating genetically modified organisms. Um, And and you watch Genetic Roulette and some of the other wonderful DVDs on this topic, and what you realize is there's nothing more urgent in terms of our health of providing or finding ways of providing fresh food outside of the industrialized corporate systems. So, and 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 of course, unless we can, that's why if you're in California and you guys are, you know that it is absolutely essential to vote for the. Proposition 37 referendum on labeling, and God bless California. If California can get it, I'm hoping we can get it throughout the United States. Well, uh, Monsanto, I heard, put $7.5 million worth of advertisement against 37. Well, you know, um, Monsanto is a very aggressive company. And the effort to control the seed supply is a very aggressive effort. So there's very big money on the table if they can do it. If you can if you can patent the seed supply and control those patents, you can control the world. Mm-hmm. Well, Europe's not allowing them in, thank goodness. It's so wonderful to be in Europe because in Europe you can just walk into any deli or store and buy whatever you want. Here, it's a little bit like running a gauntlet because you you walk into a store and you you have to guess what's food and what's not food. Mm-hmm. That's quite remarkable. They've managed to create, you know, they've managed to create something that looks like food even though it's not. And you can't always believe the organic label either. Well, that's why the, the the most ideal situation, and there are many areas in, in uh, California, you know, and that's one of the reasons California is so wonderful, is there are many places where you can get lots of local fresh food. There, You know, in many areas you have options for CSAs. 
to me the best thing is to is to find a uh, you know local farmers or a CSA or farmers market where you can get a steady supply. There's a wonderful speaking of wonderful things you can do. There's a wonderful video that Ted made of a woman named Pam Warhurst. It's up on my blog and uh at Solary.com if you if you want to take a look at it, just do a search for Pam Warhurst. I'm sure you can find it on a on a search engine search on the internet. And she and a group of women sat down in their town and said, Okay, you know, times are tough, things are depressing, what can we do? And they came up with a wonderful plan and said, We're going to build edible landscapes all over the town. So they just started to plant things. They started to plant fruit and vegetables in front of the police station, in the cemetery, you know, on the sides of the road, et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is going absolutely gangbusters. It's been going on for years. And they now project, I think by 2015, they're going to have the town fruit and vegetable self-sufficient. And they also created a brand and got this all organized with the grocery stores. And they say the local grocers are making more money. And they got the whole thing into the school, so now the kids in the schools are helping. And the way they do it is they plant it all over the town, and then if somebody's going home, if you live in that town and you're going home and you you want something and it's ready to be harvested, you just pluck it, and apparently it kind of works. And we've seen this growing. You know, the permaculturalists have been promoting this all over the country. The, apparently Seattle has just approved six acres of its public land for an edible landscape. And I I swear, if you look at how much this country spends on landscaping, and we just said, okay, we're going to make all that landscaping edible, oh, my God, it would be unbelievable. And that's absolutely worth considering, because if you look at what the Federal Reserve is doing and what it's going to do to the price of food, the price of food is only going up, 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 up. So, you know, we should all plan on the price of food going up 10 to 20% a year for, you know, at least a couple years now, if, if not more. And um, so edible landscapes. Uh, There's another thing I wanted to mention, too, and I'm going to be a tough guy now. If you you go into every county in America, so if you go come where I live in Tennessee, and you count up all the money we're spending on the lottery and illegal drugs, if we were to shift even half of that money into local pools for crowdfunding for venture capital, for local real estate, you know, we could turn America into a Shangri-La. And that's not, you know, that's not Wall Street, that's not elites in Washington, that's us. We're choosing to pour our money into things which destroy, and then, then you add to that the time that we're watching TV. All of these are choices that we make to debase our time and debase our money and if you look at the amount of money and time pouring into those activities, if we could shift that into something positive, you could completely rebuild the economy of this country. Well, I know my my area is starting to do things similar. Uh, we've got a community garden. We've got um, farmer's markets and people – because I actually live in a county, so they're uh-huh. not in a city. So people are – I you I take my dog for a walk. I can hear everybody having chickens and so I <laughs> So it's it's chickens are the gifts that keep on giving. <laughs> so it's it's nice where I live, but I know it's not that way everywhere. Well, they do have what they call edible towers right now where the, it's a tower 
uh-huh. that people can have. It's about what, six feet tall, maybe a, a couple of feet across, and then they have the little um, bowls all around the tower that you can just plant, and the water circulates, and, and it grows your vegetables year-round. Can you? Will it do it indoors? Yeah, it'll do it indoors, too, if yeah. you want it indoors. Um, people could do that in it, apartments. Yeah, or on the patio or that kind of thing. So it's um, it's pretty, you know, things are coming now that, that can, uh, you know, really support people. This lady's name was Pamela Hurst. Is at that H-E-R-S-T? It's W-A-R-H-U-R-S-T, Warhurst. And it's W-A-R. just it's a remarkable and inspiring uh, DVD of what's possible. And um, okay. one of the things I loved is she mentioned getting it into the schools. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to mention one of the most inspiring DVDs I've seen recently. It's called The School, and it's about the group in Russia, you know, the Cedar series. Oh, yes. Yeah, That's and really, I just have. started reading that, the series. Oh, really? Yes. It's, um, it's a 30-minute DVD. I linked to it. It's up on my blog this week. And it shows you what kids can do when they are put in an environment where they're free to learn. And it's quite remarkable. You have 13-year-old kids, you know, mastering college physics. <laughs> it's amazing. And it's um, it's about a school that they put together in, in Russia where the kids built the school. They decorated. They did all the artwork for the school. And then they run the school. They run the curriculum and they're the teachers and the students. Wow. And, oh, it's amazing. And if you if you see what they're learning, it just shows you it 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 gives you a a real glimpse at how um our system is very much designed to produce obedient employees as opposed to brilliant, knowledgeable, healthy young people. Your website again is solari.com and that's solari.com. Solari, S-O-L-A-R-I dot com. Uh-huh. And uh, very good. Woo. And we could mention um, that Catherine's going to be in the local area. Um, yeah, so I did, I haven't mentioned about how you can invest your money. But oh, okay. it's, it's a, I'm an investment advisor by trade, and one of the things we're seeing globally is is technology means and and the kind of political changes we're talking about is very significant change. So we see one economy dying and another economy being born. And if you look at the politics of the last 20 years, I've spent a lifetime trying to warn people to get out of that which is dying and get into that which is being born. And the system has tried to hold everybody back and keep them financing that which is dying so they can get their money out into things that are being born. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about at the C Lane events. Um, and let me just describe them. I'm going to be in Berkeley on September 27th in the evening um, at the Bancroft Hotel. And you can find all of this at our website at sealaneadvisory.com. And then on September 29th, I'm going to be in um, uh, in Menlo Park at the Allied uh, Art Guild. And then in October, October 20th, I'm going to be in Petaluma at the Sheraton. And then um, uh, on November 14th, I'm going to be down in Santa Cruz at the Dream Inn. And uh, so those are four, we're calling them financial salons for changing times. And we're going to be talking about, okay, 
One of my favorite quotes is from the hockey player Wayne Gretzky. Somebody asked him what made him a great hockey player. He said, "I skate to where the, I skate to where the puck will be." And so, what we'll be talking about: what are the primary trends, and where are things going? And if you want to shift into the economy that's being born, you know, where do you go? What do you do? And um, and I'm really excited about it because for me, these are great discussions. You know, we get really smart people. They're going to be small and get everybody in the room, and we'll start chewing through these things and hopefully help people understand, okay, if I want to align with the primary trends and I want to be part of building an economy that I can be proud of and uh, and protect and build my family wealth, how do I do it? So there will be great conversations, and I encourage everybody to learn more at our website, cleanadvisory.com. I'm sorry, what is that website again more slowly, please? C-S-E-A-L-A-N-E, advisory, cleanadvisory.com. Or if you just go to salary.com under the events section, it's there too. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So real easy. So we're talking about the latest trends. So I would think that um, the food that we're talking about, because it's really – at least in California, it's really getting to be people go to they're willing to pay more to know that their food is good. Uh-huh. So, would that be one of the trends you're talking about? We're we're absolutely going to talk about food because I think food is so so important. Although one of the things I should mention that I do I really encourage is is there's been an effort for many decades to get people to put all their assets in the financial in the brokerage system. And one of the things I do is encourage you to do what I call disintermediate. So, you know, once upon a time we did everything for ourselves, and now we live in a world where we go work for the corporation, we get a check, we come back and we use the money to buy a corporate stock, and then we get a dividend and we use the money to buy food. Well, that means that the corporation is you know, we've been intermediated. The corporation is between us and all these different functions. And so anytime you can find an, a way of disintermediating, um, you know, we should do it. Now, let, let me give you an example. I had a friend once who kept calling me and complaining that her her water bill was going up, and then she was complaining that the yields on her CDs and stocks were going down, and that's a big problem for many people today because the interest rates are going down, down, down. So I said to her, look, this is really simple, and she could do this. She was in a rural area. I said, I said, sell your stock and build a well. And that's basically disintermediating because you're not depending on the corporate stock to give you a dividend, and you're not depending on the, the, the utility to provide your water. You're doing it for yourself. So if you if you look at your balance sheet and everybody's different and where they live is different and their needs are different. So this is a very much a person by person thing. But wherever you can invest money to permanently reduce your overhead by providing more for yourself, that is almost always a great investment. So all you're doing is you're disintermediating. You're you're getting the big guys out of your balance sheet and income statement. Um, another wonderful example is if you have either one of you guys plugged into the maker movement. No. Oh, this is something that you definitely want to find out about and get on the show. There's a wonderful man named Dale Daugherty up at O'Reilly Publishing. He started a 
magazine called Make Magazine, and it's all about making everything yourself and getting together in in groups that, you know, get together in garages and hacker spaces and learn how to make things themselves. And they've started having something called Maker Fairs. Um, uh, Maker Fairs are, and it's spelled F-A-I-R-E, like the medieval fair. And they're going gangbusters. They're not only, it started in San Francisco, and now it's growing all over the world. And that's where people come together and sort of show off the things they make. And um, what's interesting, it runs the gamut from very low-tech to very high-tech, you know, doing 3D printing and robotics, um, you know, versus uh, making your own dolls or making your own furniture. So it it runs the full spectrum, and it also has a lot of uh, very fun stuff. It's not all practical stuff. There's some really – there's a wonderful maker fair – video up on the internet of, of a guy who made rolling cupcakes. So you get in your cupcakes and you all go, you know, roll around <laughs> <laughs> with your head sticking out of your cupcake. It's very, very delightful. So, you know, it, uh, I think the last Maker Fair in San Francisco was 100,000 people. It was quite something. Wow. Anyway, but 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 this re- reflects the phenomena that if you look at what's happening with manufacturing tools, with things like 3D printing, we're watching a much smaller footprint, and we're watching tools. Um, there's a new business, in fact, in the San Francisco area called TechSpace. And, um, you know, just like we pay a membership fee to a gym so we can use all their equipment, in TechSpace you pay a fee so you can use all this kind of fancy equipment that's still too expensive for each one of us to buy. And oh. um, and they have all sorts of classes teaching us how to make things. So, um you know, there's tremendous opportunity, I think, that the new tools will give us to kind of disintermediate the big guys out of our uh, out of our finances and out of our lives. Well, uh, I, we recently got, got uh, bought solar panels. So, Really? Oh, congratulations. Yes. So I thought, we're going to be saving enough on PG&E, more money than I would be getting on interest in, my ba- in the bank, so... Exactly. It's funny. I had a, I had a dear friend who said the same thing, and then it turned out that the the solar dealer said that the price of the solar panels was, um, was going up. That he he then after he put in his solar panels, he decided to finance, take money out of the stock market and finance the dealer's inventory, and the last I heard from him, he had done quite well. <laughs> but. You know, there are going to be all sorts of these little opportunities, both on our own household and with local entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, if you have the taste for it, uh, you know, these kinds of local investments are there. And that's one of the another reason to invest with a good community bank. Because the good community banks generally know who's who and who's trustworthy and who's not. And they have a pretty good eye for for, um, you know, sort of underwriting the quality of people. And I think there's a lot, if you know them and in the flow of things and they know that you're interested in in these kinds of local investments, over time there can be opportunity. Now it takes time. But, um, of course, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm a great believer that it makes tremendous sense to build up your own skills, first your health, then your own skills and knowledge, but then your own business. The people I know who are doing very, very well today 
at living outside the matrix have built their own enterprises, whether it's a business or a newsletter or a church or, you know, some activity that serves people and is useful. Well, I know our community is starting to come together and do things like that. So, um, Oh, that's wonderful. It's happening in front of my eyes. That's great. <laughs> you, have, you ever, have you ever tried to do a hand? Because um, I really recommend that people get together in circles. We call them fi- financial action clubs, the literary circles. And, um, you know, the first thing you can do is help educate each other. Uh, and, you know, I find getting together and having some soup and watching DVDs uh, there's so many wonderful, inspiring DVDs, that, you know, particularly on the food issues. That Have you guys seen Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead? Yes, I have. Okay. What well, is I, I found that to be one of the most inspiring documentaries I ever watched. And when I saw Phil Staples, the trucker, you know, turn into vibrant, you know, the picture of vibrant health, I said, now that's the health care plan we need for America. <laughs> <laughs> Forget Obamacare, let's do that. So, um, you know, but but there's just all these inspiring things. So get together, be inspired, talk about it, and then take action where, you know, I'm always saying don't worry about if there is a conspiracy. If you're not in one, you need to start one. So whether it's helping each other organize to get fresh food or helping each other to organize and shift your bank, a lot of people find shifting your bank to be a very challenging process but if you get together with five or six of your neighbors and you call up the banks and say we want presentations from you i assure you people will jump to get five or six new accounts right so you can you know you can make it fun you can make it a game and it's it's very important to you know find ways of of being together which give you energy because that's what we're trying to do is stop each other from being drained um but they're remarkable things and of course then then it can evolve if you want to in, in, into an angel network because it's amazing at the local level how just a little bit of angel investment can make an enormous difference. There's another trend uh, going on in our area. I don't know if it's in any other area, but where doctors um, are getting out of the mainstream and they you pay them like $1,500 a year, and they're your doctor. And you can call them anytime. They'll, they'll do uh, house calls. Oh, how wonderful! So That's I don't know. Fantastic. I, I don't Putting know your you doctor on retainer—that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But still, then you'd have to have insurance for the hospital part if you ever went to the hospital. But well, I think that's wonderful because they there's it's like one on one. You're not just in there for 15 minutes, right? I think it's a great trend. That is wonderful. I, in fact, you don't. Well, I, I don't use healthcare insurance. I don't have it. Um, and I, what I do is through AAA, I have a catastrophic uh, policy because I drive a lot. But I'm part of something called Samaritan Ministries, where it's a co-op of, of last I looked, it was seventeen thousand, but it's growing. Um, 17,000 people will underwrite each other's health care expenses. Oh. So so we don't have insurance. We we basically reimburse each other for our health care expenses. So every month I get a list of people who I'm supposed to write a check to. Whoa. And so, 
I don't pay money to Samaritan Ministries. I pay money to Sally and Harry Smith in Illinois this month, and then next month it's somebody else. So, you know, it would be wonderful, too, if there were more groups like that. Because the frightening thing is we don't need health care insurance. We need health care. Right. And health care insurance has simply created another layer of complexity and expense and inserted a group of companies that, as far as I can tell, you know, delete value. They don't ultimately add value. And it's so confusing. <laughs> Health insurance is so confusing now. I, I could, I'm working with for, with my mother, who's 87, and how can the elderly know what to do? <laughs> I mean, it's hard for me. Right, <laughs> right. Right, one of the greatest, one, I did a, Salary report about a year ago on durable healthcare proxies. Um, and one thing I recommend to anybody who will listen to me, there's a wonderful website called, I think it's fivewishes.org. Let me just check. And um, it's a planning process that allows, it's just a little document, I think you can buy it for $5 on the internet. And um, we had the uh, a marvelous attorney on the Salary report who's written one of the best books I've ever found on healthcare proxies and sort of planning your healthcare experience. And um, what she said was, you know, rather than read her long book, just go to fivewishes.org and get a copy of their, yeah, it's called fivewishes.org. The name of the website is Aging with Dignity, and it gives you a little form, and you take it with your family and friends, whoever you want to involve, and you walk through all the different issues, and this is very, very important. It's it's something a lot of people like to avoid, um, but if you look at the nature of the changes in our healthcare system, the legal issues, uh, literally, if you don't do this kind of planning and have your wishes clear and the legal authority set up, I mean, you can literally, as a patient, be kidnapped by the healthcare system and and people, strangers are making decisions that are against your best interest, and there's nothing your family can do to prevent it. So I really, uh, fivewishes.org is and sort of planning to to empower people to navigate the healthcare system. If for any reason you should not be able to, um, you know, you should be incapacitated so that you can't you can't basically control what's happening. I mean, I cannot tell you how important it is to walk into the into the medical system, the traditional medical system in the hospitals, and to be absolutely in control or have someone you can trust in control and not let the system be in control. Very good advice. Yeah. Bef- uh, before this hour is up, I was going to ask you about uh, gold and silver. Do you think people should invest in gold and silver? Gold and silver... You know, in one sense, gold and silver are not an investment. They're money. Mm-hmm. They're a, if you, you know, essentially, if you ask seven billion people what's the global currency they trust, what you'll get back is pretty much gold and silver. Um, gold and silver are absolutely in a primary trend uh, of a rising price when expressed in fiat currency. So the U.S. dollar is a fiat currency. The euro is a fiat currency, and we're in a situation where all the fiat currencies globally are being um, are are the subject of very 
relax monetary policy. So we see the Federal Reserve uh, announcing another round of quantitative easing. What that means is they're printing more and more currency. And and what that means is that the price of all tangibles will tend to rise as a result of the creation of more paper. So if the three of us are on an island and we have 100 acres and we have 100 cows and and the central banker doubles the money supply, then you you can pretty much assume the prices will probably you know, double because nothing else has happened. We haven't created more land. We haven't created more people. We haven't created more cows. We've just created more paper. And what this means is that the value of the money we keep in dollar-denominated assets, so the money we keep in our wallet in our pocket or the dollars that we keep in the bank in the form of CDs or the the bonds that we have in our securities account that are fixed income, they they will tend to lose purchasing power. So to give you an example, um, in 2003, if we put $10,000 in a CD um, and, you know, at whatever the percentage was, it would have been a lot more in 2003 than it is now. Let's say we get a quarter or half a percent now. Um, if we had put money in in um, in gold at that time, we'd have 500% more money than we would if we just kept that CD. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, that increase was not so much the increase in terms of value. It's really It just reflects the decline in the value of the dollar. In other words, an ounce of gold is still an ounce of gold. And the right. and the reason it's 500% or more up in terms of dollar price is because that's how much the, the value of the dollar has gone down. So gold and silver are clearly in a very, uh, you know, are, are clearly in a primary trend up. And 50% of the, Celine has a model portfolio, and 50% of our assets are in in precious metals or precious metals related just because we think it's a we think it's a it's a solid way to protect family wealth from debasement. Now I say that the world can't you know we can't build a positive future by putting gold in the vault and staring at it. So um so to me in the long run the things that will create the most value are things that serve people and add real value to our lives. So if you look at that same period where gold is up 500%, the leading manufacturer of surgical systems, which dramatically improved the safety and uh, and the recovery times on surgery, um, that's increased 4,000%. And that's because human life will always be worth more than metals that's in the vault. So... so um, you know, if you look across the spectrum, if you look at fertilizer companies, they've outperformed gold as well. So, as I said, there's this world that's being born, and and it's an enter a great enterprise that serves people and adds a lot of value to people's life day to day. I think is always going to outperform gold or silver, but gold or silver are a great bridge from the old world to the new one. That's 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 a great. Uh, Analogy is like a, a bridge from the old to the new. So, right, it's a, it's a way it's a security blanket. <laughs> right. Well, th- here's the thing: if if you know you've got to cross from one to the other, um, 
it, you know, it's a complex job to find and figure out which is the company with the best surgical system and that kind of thing. And I think, you know, for people who say that's it, I just don't want to sit in the bank and get, you know, watch my purchasing power diminish by sitting in CDs. I want to get to the new world, but I, I you know, it's just too complicated. I need to keep it simple. Gold and silver are a great, you know, it's a great, again, I use the word bridge. To me, it's a great bridge from the old to the new. And um, But I think everybody knows it's it's not it's not a magic bullet. And I always get upset when I listen to people on the radio talk about it as if it's going to solve, you know, all your problems. It's not. Um, you know, if you've ever looked at anybody going through really rough, rough, rough times, you know, what they can tell you is it's better to have a bottle of vodka and a broom <laughs> to trade than gold or silver. So so I think um I think it's a part uh you know, so so let's just go down the hierarchy of investment. Number one is fresh food and your health. Number two is getting is disintermediating, you know, any bad guys out of your balance sheet and assets. The more you can do for yourself, the better. Um, the third is gold and silver absolutely plays a role, but what you do and how you do it depends on you and your unique situation. We do, um, I do a, something called the Solari Report, which is a private briefing and bridge call, uh, and we do it weekly, and we have just a load of archives and audio seminars and other information, but one of them is a, for since 2008, I do one a month on precious metals with Franklin Sanders, who's a wonderful precious metals dealer from Tennessee, and um, and they're all up there in the Salir report, along with a whole bunch of audio seminars and everything. The important thing to know is, if you're interested in precious metals, the first thing you need to do is you need to get yourself an education, um, because there are many different ways of doing precious metals, which can lose you a whole bunch of money and make a huge mess. So you want to make sure. For many people, it's a new thing. You want to make sure you do it right, not wrong. And there's a treasure trove of audio seminars and and information uh, on precious metals at the Solaria Report, if that can be useful to you. Well, I also to noticed that you, that you talk about taxes. Can you want to kind of cover that a little bit for people? Taxes? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, don't you wish we didn't have to pay them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. With all the money we we make on our investments, then we have to turn around and pay taxes. Well, here's the thing. I have a I have a prejudice on this issue, and that is, I never I never choose an investment for tax reasons, and I never stay in an investment for tax reasons. You know, my feeling is I always want to go to the place which is optimal in terms of performance for both me and the world around me, and I'm not going to let taxes talk me into it or out of it. And um, now that doesn't mean I'm not clear about what the tax ramifications are. Uh, so, for example, on on precious metals, almost all of the ways that you invest in precious metals um, have a 28% tax rate. It's a tangible, as opposed to what is currently a 15% tax rate. Now we'll see what happens with the potential changes between you know the end of this year and what happens in Congress what comes off automatically and then what happens in Congress next year. So the one thing you do have to remember is that your taxes, because if you're in California, you've got a high state rate as well. So if you're in California, you're going to get hit for a higher tax rate. Um, 
so I think it's worth mentioning. But I generally, uh, I generally avoid letting track taxes. You know, when I was on Wall Street, that all the accountants used to try and sell me tax shelters, and I kept saying, I don't care if I can write it off as crap. I don't want to invest in it. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's you know that's it on taxes. Never, you know, my other comment on taxes that I always make is. You need to understand that we operate in a world where there's no privacy. And so, you know, you need to understand that you need to be impeccable on both paperwork and and on paying taxes. Because, uh, and you also need to understand that your CPA is now under revised rules, and these are my words, not what the, what the, your CPA would say. But basically, your CPA now works for the IRS. So you need to be impeccable on your taxes. You need to, you know, and and you need to understand that you that that you just, uh, you know, there there are no games available here. You just need to, you need to pay them or you need to take them to court. But but you can't duck them and you can't play games with it because otherwise, you literally could lose your assets or end up in jail. Well, I know my CPA mentioned it that he didn't want any marks against him. Because if you have a CPA that has had a mark against him, you're more apt to be audited. So it's, I, it's, I would think it's very important to what CPA you choose. Right. Do they? Can you ask for their record with <laughs> before you go to them, see if they've been audited or how many times they've been audited, their clients? Um. I, I'm assuming you can, but I'm not afraid of somebody who's been audited a lot, and I don't mind somebody who has marks against them. What I want to know is that somebody's highly competent and I can trust them. And um, what I won't do is let the actions of my enemy determine who I choose and don't choose. So, you know, the guy who doesn't have any marks against them is the guys, you know, that... that um, you know, is going to represent the best interests of the IRS. So I guess my feeling is I'm going to determine who my CPA is, not the IRS. And so I don't really care about that. Um, what I care about is that somebody's highly competent and very ethical. And that's why if I tend to find, if you know, if I find somebody who fits that description i'll stick with them forever and i'll pay them much more in my experience most people are far too cheap in terms of what they're willing to pay to build and maintain a great relationship with a good local banker a good local doctor a good local cpa a good local you know having great professionals who you have long live relationships with and who serve you well is money in the bank. And so I tend to be fairly generous in terms of of building that relationship and taking the time to build it and, and paying them properly. And I found it's always served me very, very well. It actually uh, supports your health, whether you know it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll never forget, I walked into, I was a summer intern at Goldman Sachs when I was on Wall Street, and I walked into... Uh, uh, one of the partners in the corporate finance department, I said, you know, I just don't really understand what you do. And could I follow you around for a day? So he said, yeah. So I sat in his office and I just listened to his all his conversations and watched him doing his business. And one of the things he said he got, he was smoking a big cigar. 
He got off the phone at one point and he looked at me and says, listen, kid, just remember this. You either have a great CPA and a great attorney that you can trust or you're never going to make it on Wall Street. <laughs> and it was very good advice, and sure enough, that's exactly what I did, and I've always followed that advice. I've never been cheap about it, and I will tell you I'm alive today because of it. I know you went through a lot. Well, so. but I I had great people behind me and supporting me who didn't, you know, throw me to the wolves and and you know and and acted, you know, acted in accordance with the best, uh, you know, the best philosophies of their pro- profession, and they did because they knew. You know, they knew I would compensate them well. They knew I would never lie to them. I would never cheat them. And they knew me and they knew my situation because I paid them to to know it well before the trouble came up. So um, so these are relationships you want to build and you want to maintain and you don't want to be cheap about it. So, And by cheap, I don't mean just in terms of, of your money, but in terms of your time and your attitude. Very so, good advice. Yeah, you want to you want to put you want to put professionals on the line who are free to defend you, and you want to support them in defending you. Yeah, I also see something on your website, uh, gifting to children. Um, we have about a couple of minutes. Would you share a little bit about that? Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up <laughs> because, uh, and this gets back to the hierarchy investment. Um, it is so important to invest in our families and starting with the children. And so everyone has children that they love, whether it's their children, their grandchildren, nieces, nephews, um, you know, or just children of friends. And, uh, you know, so every everybody's definition of children they love is different. But I can't think of anything better than to, to, to invest and lift up the next generation and if you want to build a, a great economy, that's how you do it. You you build up great people one at a time, and then you help them become uh, become successful at the financial process. You know, a lot of the great companies got uh, financed out of the you know the jar in the kitchen, so to speak. So um, what I discovered was that that my uh, my investment advisor clients and my subscribers were feeling reticent to take money out of the brokerage system and, and put it into the people around them. And I said, oh, oh, contraire, that's a great investment. And so uh, I also discovered that they were, you know, they hadn't been thinking this way. So for Christmas one year, I sat down and wrote just a whole long, you know, all my ideas in the different areas of ways that you could invest in the kids that you love. And part of it was, you know, some people in the family had time and other people had money, but nobody had both, so I needed the people with money and the people who have time to get together in a whole variety of projects to help the kids and build up the kids and their family. So um, we sent it out to the clients for as sort of a Christmas present one year and a wonderful Lazardi Communications, which is a wonderful communications firm out of Pasadena who helped Soleri, uh, saw it and they loved it, so they... Uh, they just sent me the manuscript. They had turned it into a manuscript for a book, and they said, here's your book. <laughs> now publish it. <laughs> oh, so that's gifting to the children we love. And if you're looking for great ideas of ways to support and help the kids in your family, particularly ways that will teach them over time how to be successful in 
navigating and the the economy and participating in the economic process, um, you might find that book very useful. Great. Huh. Well, you know, I want to thank you again for taking time out to be with us and for the awesome gifts of knowledge that you uh that you throw in our direction every time we have you on <laughs> And we want to <laughs> remind the listeners that uh, the two local areas that's closest to the, the, our listeners right now, is you're going to be in Menlo Park uh, September the 29th at the Allied Arts. And then you're going to be, we have a lot of Santa Cruz people, so you're going to be in Santa Cruz. Santa uh, Cruz, November 14th at the Dream Inn. So if you want a little bit more of a taste of what you've heard today, uh, be sure to show up at either one of those places. To or meet. enter her website, too. Her oh, website yeah, the website. Solari, S-O-L-A-R-I dot com, and then you can click on the events. And, uh, and there's and so much more information on your website. I mean, your website and is Tev, And, Paula, you get complimentary tickets. Just let me know for you and your and your family and guests, you just let me know what you want, and I'll make sure you get it, okay? Because we'd oh, love to great. see you out. Oh, Thank great. You. Thank you. All right. God all right. bless you. Thank you for all your work. Have a great day, guys. Bye. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, let me just uh, let